Thanks, Sherilyn. It's sort of hard to know really to go where, you know, where to go from there, isn't it? Um, think about uh, the Bible's account of the first murder. In a way, it's like the story of how murder came into the world and um, and after Cain has, has killed his brother, God comes comes to him and, and he says, Where? Where's Abel? And what does Cain say? He, he says, am, am I my brother's keeper? Well, we are. That's the point of the story, isn't it? And um, it seems uh, like we're at a crisis point, really, uh, with domestic violence. But we can lean, uh, we can lean into that calling of Christ upon us to be one another's brothers and sisters and one another's keepers. And so to that end, even just being here this morning is not nothing. The fact that you are a part of a community where hopefully there are people who love you and hold you accountable and want to live life with you, that goes some way. Don't forget as you are living your lives in society, that not everybody has that. Uh, sometimes I think we need to, to remind ourselves what we have here is really great. <laughs> and there's lots of people um, who, who, who would long for what you have, um, just to have a community that you can come along um, and connect with every week live life with, hopefully live into the calling of, of being family with others whose blood you might not share. Whew. So we're continuing um, the series King of Love today. If you saw me do the notices last week, you'll realise there's some risk in getting me back up again uh, this week. There's just a tiny bit of baby brain uh, going on for me. I don't know how Sherilyn got here, um, but... Uh, I, yes, I'm going to stick to my notes. That was the point. <laughs> and um, we're looking at the kingdom of God in Jesus' own words, which in some ways is hard to do because he spoke more about the kingdom of God than anything, really. On the other hand, can be a little hard to do because he spoke kind of weirdly. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at, at a passage, um, a parable that he that he spoke um, that speaks of the kingdom which is really what his agenda was in the world and it comes from Matthew actually I forgot my clicker 22 if um, you want to look at your own translation because you don't trust the one that I use the NIV and um, 22 1 to 14 so I'm going to read it and then we'll go through with it. God, we do thank you um, that you continue to draw us into your kingdom, that somehow you choose us to be your family, uh, and that's hard, <laughs> but we know it's good. Lord, we pray that you would reveal something new to us of that big plan that you're outworking through your son's words this morning. May it be something that goes beyond our understanding, though, Lord. May your revelation be something that drops into our souls. 
as well as filling our hearts and minds. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Gloria. Yeah. So, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Thanks, Jesus. Saying... Am I going off track already? I don't want to think about it. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to their field, one to their business. The rest seized the king's servants. They mistreated them and they killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants... The wedding banquet is ready, but those who I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Whew, okay, yes, we're going to do this. Uh, so, um, parables. <laughs> uh, I uh, there's this passage right uh, where it's actually in Matthew's gospel where the disciples say to Jesus, "How come you teach us this way?" I think I would also ask him, because it's confusing, right? And Jesus doesn't make it any clearer when he responds. This is, uh, I speak this way uh, because you guys understand the mystery, but they don't understand it yet. So sometimes you hear parables spoken of as though um, they're to kind of clarify a principle of the kingdom, and in a sense that they, they are. But there's also this sense in which, not (laughs) like he's kind of like Jesus saying if you don't get it you don't get it which I don't get (laughs) truth be told it sort of reminds me of uh you know we're still at an age well our kids are still at an age Cheryl and I where we can speak in in kind of code so that the kids can't understand the spelling thing's kind of gone now because the kids are at school but you can find other ways of doing it and I remember my parents doing that of course whether it was pig latin um, ex nay on the cat nay, grandma nay, you know, round round dinner. And I remember looking at my sister going, do you know what they're talking about? I think they're, they're talking about whether we're going to have dessert or not. Or are we getting a kitten? Or are we having a cat for dessert? Um, and, and, and Jesus' parables can be a bit like that. I mean, I, I spend a fair bit of time 
partly because I'm paid to do it, to be frank, trying to work this stuff out, and, and it's confusing. But um, I think the parable that we've just looked at is one of a number which are probably most clear, least confusing. I don't know if you believe me at this stage, but I'm going to talk a little bit about why. I think this is one of the more sort of graspable parables. And it might come as a shock to you that it makes a lot more sense if you read it in context. It's a lot of fun to just flip the Bible open at any given page and, you know, close your eyes and put your finger on the page and and receive God's word for the day, get all sorts of interesting uh, left field passages uh, by doing that, don't you? Your hair is like a flock of goats, all that kind of stuff. Um, I like the one about Elisha calling down bears upon the youths that called him bald. Um, But... uh, who knows that the Bible is actually written according to kind of logic and structure the various books of it. And if you read them in context, they make a lot more sense. It takes a long time. It took a long time for me to work that out, but it, it's coming. And um, one of the sort of models for understanding parables uh, that scholars talk about is identifying three, the three primary characters in a parable, and this one has them quite clearly. So I'm just setting this up for you before we go a little bit deeper. In this parable, I'd suggest the three primary character characters are the king and his servants, the initially invited guests, and then the anyone's. So the anyone's that were just out on the street that the servants went and grabbed, and that included this mysterious under dressed man so just hold on to that framework a little bit as we go through to put a little bit of context around this parable hopefully to make some sense of it I want to just talk to you quickly about what happens in the passages leading up to it so we've talked a lot uh, up to Easter and in this series about this moment where Jesus comes to Jerusalem And it's like he's coming to claim his throne. So that's what we remember on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, it's sometimes called. Immediately after this, in Matthew's Gospel, we have this crazy story where Jesus clears the temple. There's nothing provocative about that, is there? Where he kicks everyone out, he knocks all the tables over. Um, So there's something happening there. Then there's this other weird story about Jesus cursing a fig tree. Now, the fig tree was the symbol for Israel. And so, again, it's something of a provocative gesture where he says, he looks at this unfruitful fig tree and he curses it. Again, I'm just skimming across the top of it. But then Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. And it says that the elders and uh, the priests and the people are listening to his teaching And they challenge him. They say, what authority do you have to teach like this in this place? And you know what Jesus says? So I'm not going to tell you, (laughs) basically. He's fun, isn't he, Jesus? (laughs) Especially when you've got baby brain. Try to work all this out. Uh, And then, so Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you. But then he kind of does tell them, but he doesn't 
because he teaches in parables that they probably won't get. Hopefully we've got some chance of getting this one today. So he tells these three parables in Matthew's Gospel and this is leading up to his death, right? This is some of the last teaching that he does. And I think these are three of the most understandable parables. When you look at that list, maybe you can go in your own time and have a look at these. We don't have time to today. But he talks about the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two sons. The parable of the tenants. And then this parable that we are looking at this morning. So, to go back to that little model which might help us to understand this parable and look at this primary character of the initially invited guests. It says in verse 5, they paid no attention. So the king came and said, you guys are on the guest list. The party is ready. Come and get down with me and my family. The food's going to be amazing. But they paid no attention and they went off They had excuses. One was going to their field, another to their business. Some of them went even further and mistreated and killed the king's servants. And the king was understandably enraged. So the king in this story has an agenda. But his invited guests, it seems, have their own agendas. He's inviting them to something special and they're saying actually we've got our own thing going on here what else can we notice about these initially invited guests they mistreated and even killed the king's servants and finally the point I want to make is that they were punished by an army burning their city down So I don't know if the context is helping things crystallise for you here, but it's very difficult, most commentators suggest, to read this parable without seeing that Jesus might actually be talking to the religious leaders of his time. Doesn't he go on about the fact that the prophets were always tormented by the religious leaders? That the religious leaders uh, and the kind of institution of Israel ignored the witness of the prophets. Of which he is one. In which, whose line he stands. And even most grapple with the fact that Jesus might be predicting the destruction of Jerusalem that comes in AD 70. His audience were used to the idea that foreign armies could be the agents of God's judgment and Jesus seems to be foreshadowing that. And so most people look at this parable and they go, hard as it is, Jesus is calling out Israel's religious leaders. Tracking with that? And why is he calling them out? Because they have failed to fulfill their purpose. 
I've just put three examples there, but you will know, if you've read anything of the Old Testament, this comes through time and time again, that God did choose a people in Israel, but he didn't choose them just for the sake of it. He chose them for a purpose. Abraham, Genesis 22 says, will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. And Jesus is saying, like so many of the prophets, this hasn't happened. That's what was going on in the temple. That's what was going on with the fig tree. That's what was going on in so much of Jesus' ministry. He's going, wake up. The kingdom of God is here. And are you on board with it? Are you a part of it? There's lots of evidence to suggest that by this time in history when Jesus is doing his ministry, sometimes called the intertestamental period, that the religious culture of Israel had somehow managed to tune out so much of what the Old Testament was talking about when it came to the universal purposes of God's promises, that they were for all people and not just for the Jews. And so Jesus is doing something kind of sneaky in a way, definitely to kind of grab their attention with the image at the centre of this parable. If you go to your Bible, there's a good chance that in the footnotes for this parable, there's a reference to Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. And this is what Isaiah 25, 6 to 8 says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever the sovereign lord will wipe away the tears from all faces he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the lord has spoken so jesus knows that his audience is reading the prophets but yet tuning out some key points and so he tells this story that is an echo of Isaiah's prophecy about exactly what God is doing through history. The point that God has in mind. That it's not just that the chosen and the invited would be invited to be there as a special class, but that God is doing something bigger for all people and all nations. And that's where the anyone's come into this parable isn't it? If Jesus is calling out the religious leaders of his own people, he's saying God then is going to move on and do something different, something fuller. What's interesting about the anyones that were invited to fulfill the king's purpose? They were not initially invited. They weren't a part of that original covenant, that original plan that God had. There was something special about the first invitees, but yet God is opening it up. 
I think this is really interesting, that it's all the people that the king tells his servants to go out and get. It says the bad as well as the good. So Matthew 22 verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The banquet is ready, but those who I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet all the people that you can find, the bad as well as the good. You can see this allusion then to Isaiah 25, where Isaiah is saying God has a purpose for all, not just for the people of Israel. Reading into this illusion, it becomes clear, I think, that those all are the Gentile nations. Jesus is kind of saying, God is doing something here. Are you awake to it? Are you on board with it? Commentators say that in this intertestamental period, uh, so much had the focus shifted away from what God wanted to do from all, for all people, the Gentiles included, included that there were, was even a focus on the exclusion of people with disabilities. And that's where this funny line about the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame comes in. Of course, for us, you know, it's a ridiculous idea that those people would be outside of God's plans. But that was something that was happening in the culture. And so Jesus is calling it out. One commentator that I read about this passage said, To be an anyone, then, is to be at peace with eating elbow to elbow with all the other anyones. So to be in the kingdom means to be prepared to have someone at your elbow next to you at the table that might be bad. <laughs> Bad as well as good. Which brings us to, I think, the most challenging part of this parable. This sounds like good news, that anyone can come. What makes it challenging is it's not just the anyone's like us. It's the anyone's <laughs> like those other people, right? Like the ones we might not really want at our elbow. Whoever it is that you... I mean, I, I don't think we think the same way. That's why I think the, the disability thing's weird to us because we're like, of course, that's not... You know, God would never think that way. But it's like, well, who, who is it a challenge to imagine <laughs> eating next to in the kingdom? The other anyone's. And that's where the underdressed man comes in, this third primary character. The underdressed man. You remember towards the end of the parable, the king sees someone there who's come in with the crowd. He did say anyone could come. And then there's someone who's not dressed for the occasion and he throws him out to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on with this man and why I think he's such a challenge for us, if we're anyone's, I'm here because I'm an anyone, <laughs> not because I'm a Jew, right? Uh, I'm here because God did throw open the invitation. He just said, all of you, come. All, even all you ratbags, you're here because you're anyone's as well. But 
The underdressed man is an example of someone who is counted amongst the anyone's, but is like one of the initially invited somehow. So the fault that the initially invited had, he shares. And that fault is that he's concerned more with his own agenda. He hasn't come and entered into the spirit of what the king's doing there. Now, as someone who's not just an anyone, but an extreme introvert, I get this, because it's my struggle every time I'm invited to a party. Thankfully, I've got the witness of the spirit in the person of my wife, but I'll be like, yeah, it's a nice idea, I guess, socialising, and then what, they're having it at New Farm Park? Do Do they know how hard it is to get a park at New Farm Park on a Sunday afternoon? What, it's fancy dress? Whose idea was that? Who likes doing fancy dress? Challen says, lots of people like fancy dress. I say, I don't think I want to be friends with people who like fancy dress. <laughs> and she says to me, you are going to put on that duck, duck costume <laughs> and you are going to drive around New Farm Park until you get us a park in the shade that's less than 50 metres from all the other barnyard animals at Graham's 40th birthday party. Does it still seem a bit fresh? <laughs> it was a weird choice for a 40th, Graham. Um, but you know that thing where you're, like, there's something going on in this guy where he's just, he's there, but he's not really there. The anyone's, by and large, were grateful for the invitation. There's a good chance that they didn't get to go to a party like this. I mean, two whole beasts, it mentions, getting cooked, right? A a fattened calf and an oxen. That is a big party. And, and I mean, you don't get parties like that. We live in a pretty wealthy kind of uh, culture. And I haven't been to many parties where they've cooked two whole beasts. But you can imagine people who are scraping out a living, getting invited to a party where there's probably going to be more food than everyone can eat. People enter into that. There's something about this underdressed man that's just holding him back. And so he's somehow like that first group that didn't want to come in the first place. Now, you'll have to excuse the fact that I've had this crazy week where I'm imagining the feast that we're about to have out there and I've had to send out multiple invites to you guys and so I'm discerning how much of this parable is speaking into what I'm going through. Am I the righteous king here or I am the son? The people that uh, didn't RSVP the first time coming under judgment, of course, you're not. Actually, as I looked into this, uh, there's a guy called Craig Keener who said, actually, it's really normal with these kind of parties to send out two invites. Because uh, if you've ever tried to cook a whole oxen and a whole, what was the other thing that that he was cooking? A fattened calf. Like, it's hard to predict exactly when that's going to be ready. And that's really, especially you're cooking over coals, right? So what would happen is they would say, it's going to be on this day, right? So this is the day where we're going to do it. The marriage is going to happen. The wedding's going to happen. We're going to get the food going. But the food is so critical to the timing of everything that we're going to run around and let everyone know, hey, it's really close. Make sure you've got your earrings in. Rock up right on time for the food to be ready. And so there's actually 
it's it, the fact that I had to send you two emails to get you to RSVP, Donna. No, you, she did the first time. I don't actually really care. I'm not confusing these two <laughs> scenarios at all. Why did I bring it up? Uh, you guys did really well, by the way. Thank you. It has been a pain in the neck, and you just... I, I haven't had a single complaint about the whole system, so you're all anyone who are going to be partying in the kingdom, I'm sure. Um, anyway, let's get back to what this is really about. So if you get a second invite that you don't come to, it means that you haven't been clear the first time about whether you're going to be there or not. And so you, it's, it's like RSVPing yes and then not going. It's like the host saying, hey, I want you to be there. This restaurant is like $150 a head. Can you make it? Going, yeah, probably. And then when the time actually comes, going, I'm not partying with you. It's spiteful, actually. <laughs> it's saying, I, I want you to pay for me and I'm not going to do you the honour of being there. That's what the first group of invited people were like. There was something that the king was doing that they just weren't getting down with, that they weren't on board with. There was something that they wanted to set themselves apart from. And so when the invite for the anyone goes, anyone's go around, what Jesus is saying is it's possible that you can come in as an anyone and then still kind of go, actually, this isn't for me. When I see the other anyones that are here, I don't want to be part of this, actually. I don't get what you're doing. Or I want that, tab- that seat at the table and I'm going to be sitting next to those people? No, not for me. An unwillingness to be an anyone. The underdressed man carried that same spirit of not wanting to be on board with what the king was celebrating there. So there's this, and I'll get the band up in a second. We're going to take communion. Could I just ask if there was an usher just to keep an eye out that everyone's got elements when we come to do that? There's this sense in which, I mean, it's a scary story in some ways because there's real consequences, right? The, the first group of invitees, their city is burned. <laughs> they come under God's judgment in Old Testament language. And then the underdressed man who carries that same disposition somehow He's cast out into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What those two parties share, those two sort of groups in this parable, is that they reject God's love and that's why they come under judgment. God is throwing a party. He's saying, I want everyone to be a part of this. And it's interesting that it's not the bad necessarily that don't get there. It's the ones who say, if I have to party with them, I don't want to be a part of this. The way that this is a story of the upside down kingdom 
is that the expectation that we have in our hearts that we will qualify somehow to sit where we're going to sit in the kingdom is false, right? It's like it's not there. God wants to work with those who get what he's doing. I was thinking about what makes a good guest. And I think lots of you, if I want to ground the parable in how you guys have all gone with this terrible ticketing system, you're all in. But it's people who aren't so concerned about where they're going to sit at the feast, but people who are concerned that others are going to have a seat. The ideal guest at the King's Feast here is the person who goes, I actually don't care where I sit. Can we just make sure that there's a seat for this person? God, if you want this person there, I want them there. Sit me wherever, left hand, right hand, foot of the table, doesn't, doesn't matter. I see, God, that you want to throw the biggest party <laughs> of all time, that you want to bless anyone who you can and I want to be a part of that and isn't that the life of Jesus so much that he was willing to die right that that you or I or anyone could come and feast so as we come to communion this morning I just want to challenge you as you, in a moment, make that terrible ripping noise, ask yourself, who is the anyone that I need to make room for this week? Who is it that I just, is a block for me? When I think about, you know, could God's grace reach them? Could I do life with them? Could I somehow be responsible for them or bonded to them for eternity can I see God bless them and bless them maybe even more than he blesses me to be on board with the king's agenda to be one of God's people to be a kingdom person is to be one of those people who can say I don't care where I sit just make sure that nobody misses out that wants to be here. Why don't you rip? And I'll pray for you. And the band will lead us in a song. God, I, in one way or another, I'm sure there's not a person here who doesn't anticipate that day when your plans in history come to an end, when we celebrate life with you, justice, a lack of pain or death or suffering. Lord, I pray that you would make us as we receive this meal today in anticipation of that one at the end of time. People who get your heart 
people who get that your love is for all the anyone's, not just the ones like us. I thank you that you showed us through your son what it means to live that way and to die that way. Thank you for the invitation, Lord. May we accept it gratefully. Amen.